Yo, welcome back, guys. This is episode three of the Poke Talk podcast. I am Nate at NP Pokemon. I'm here with Philip once again. How's it going? What's up? Yeah, so this is episode three of the podcast. Um, hope you guys are digging the layout. We'll be more efficient with each episode. We really liked how episode two went. I um, think we can both agree we're getting a little better at the layout and the uh, time constraints, right? And I think uh, episode three is officially a series, isn't it? Yeah. We're, I... we're, we're, we're officially a series. <laughs> <laughs> Making it big time. Yeah, there we go. Moving on up. So, uh, yeah, this episode, we got some news for you. Um, before we hop into that, though, we're just going to be um, hopefully staying on the grind of the podcast every couple weeks. And uh, we really hope to have this solid layout like you'll see in this episode. I feel like episode one, once again, was just kind of uh, getting the ball rolling. So uh, hopefully we'll be more of a regular thing seeing the same layout from every episode. So let's go ahead and jump into the news. We got some big highlights. We made a link tree with all of our links. Um, you can find our link tree on our Instagrams and on the Pokey Talk podcast Instagram page or YouTube. We got news about Pokemon Worlds that it is back. Um, it's coming to London as expected. Um, it was supposed to be in London in 2020, but with COVID and everything, it got delayed and kept getting pushed back and pushed back. So as of now, it seems like it's on. That's great. That's great for the uh, TCG community. It's great for the Pokemon community. And it's a sign that, yes, we are slowly getting back to normal. And for a lot of people, I think the event is going to be, I don't want to say emotional, but I think it's going. People are going to be highly ecstatic. They're going to be caught in the moment because first time seeing all their friends from abroad in years. And I think it's going to be a great moment for Pokemon. It's going to be a great moment for everybody participating. It's just going to be a special, monumentous occasion in the Pokemon community. Yeah, and a lot of people, yeah, don't realize that a lot of these people go into Worlds every year. It's almost the same group of people. Um, to some extent, which we really haven't had one since the craze of 2020. So I can only imagine it now. It's just going to be huge proportions and just everyone's going to be so ecstatic to be back. It's going to be crazy. I believe the regionals have already begun or they're, they're, they're planned and they're going to be occurring. Um, uh, I know, well, I know the Florida one was canceled, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but most, all the other ones have still been on. And uh, that alone, you know, for a lot of people, they'll never get to Worlds. And just the regional championships being available is huge as well. That's that's more of your, you'll see more of your local friends. I don't say local, but regional friends. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, and I, I think, you know, it'll be, it'll be on, on a smaller scale, but it'll still be very exciting for those people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, going to be pretty exciting. One thing I'm really excited about is how they're going to do the trophy cards. So I think uh, there's been a couple people making videos on this back in the day before 2020 got canceled. Um, there was speculation about the Pikachu trophy cards getting changed up because we had the half art trophy cards early on. They got switched to the full arts. Um, these cards are given out in every age group in first, second, and third. And then later on, they were given out to even fourth place. And then even some of the game winners. 
Um, not just the TCG, but the actual games. So going into 2020 or 2021, they were kind of, there was kind of talks of some artwork being changed. And that kind of makes the full art trophy cards kind of special because they were cut short if they do change. You know, there's less copies of them versus, you know, what was expected. And uh, so, yeah, if they change the art on the trophy cards, it's going to make certain trophies from prior years leading up to COVID pretty rare, um, even more rare than they already were. So it's going to be a interesting thing to track and be big news for the trophy collectors out there as well. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people. Uh, I know there's a few YouTubers especially. They mentioned they're pretty much there at the Earl's event. And they're ready to offer money to the, to the winners, cash in hand, pretty much, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's people that people that both love collecting trophies and try to try to flip them. You know, a lot of times are probably a little bit of fun in the same, but you'll definitely have those people there ready to get those cards as fast as they can before it gets to anybody else. Yeah, even before covid and all this like you had a certain group of people like i know dave persons i've talked to him personally who's like the number one english collector in my opinion that's kind of his motto and i totally agree as long with you know many other people do as well but uh mm-hmm. yeah he and then a few other select few people you know they're kind of known to be the chase guys and i know even before world shut down when you saw some of those guys talking to these winners or trying to negotiate you knew like you weren't gonna beat their price so there it kind of became a you know select group of people hunting after these trophy cards and trying to you know talk to the winners or get in buddy buddy with them and if it's an english winner it was much more likely that they'd be willing to sell versus like a japanese winner who's more than likely you know almost against selling. Um, so it, it can be a struggle depend depending on how many people's there, who wins. Um, just the dynamics are just crazy to hunt down these trophies. And, you know, that happened before the craze. I can only imagine what it would do now. Either the prices are just going to be astronomical or, you know, they're just going to hold on to them and sell them at a later date. Pretty much everyone's aware of their value now, and it's going to be crazy to say the least to try to go after one of those. Yeah, I imagine like he's a. Uh, you're almost kind of like I don't want to say a, th- a thrill chaser, but I mean it's got to be a thrilling experience when you're in there. You're trying to ne- negotiate a deal as fast as possible. You're in a uh, more intimate situation, trying to communicate with these individuals. And honestly, I would kind of like to be a fly on the wall, uh, seeing these negotiations take place. I think I think that'd be a very interesting experience. Yeah, for sure. The thing is with worlds, like they don't really allow any buying and selling. It's kind of forbidden. It's kind of like a weird. I don't know, like every, it's kind of one of those things, it's not allowed, but everyone kind of does it, you know, they just want to keep the spirits of the event well, Mm -hmm. and then there's always these certain trading areas where you go, and it's supposed to be restricted to trading, 
And I think the last Worlds, they actually had some staff in there to make sure, you know, money wasn't being passed around and stuff like that. But, you know, you're there at an event. There's, you know, hotels all around. People hang out after the event. It's pretty easy just to, you know, meet up outside of the event or something. So it definitely happens all the way around, but it's kind of shamed on at the event itself. So it can kind of be a little tricky for these guys to be less obvious, even though it's pretty obvious what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's there's some workarounds. Talks, though, too. Yeah, there's workarounds for sure. So and uh, crazy. the well, I want to say, and the event uh, for Worlds is from the 17th to the 21st. Um, I think it'd be amazing to go visit, but unfortunately, that's not on the the schedule for me personally this year. But I think it'd be a great experience for anybody who can. I think you see you'll see a lot of YouTubers there. You'll see a lot of uh, pictures and the community there. And I think it'll be a great chance to communicate to potentially communicate with not just those individuals, but Pokemon TCG enthusiasts all around. Yeah, and that's going to be in August in London. So. It'd be definitely an experience. A lot of people were just kind of hoping London would kind of get over with so it could maybe move back to the U.S. or back to wherever it, it goes next. But, uh, yeah, it's it was on a run to be in the U.S. there for a while. And uh, they just finally swapped it up, and then COVID happened. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be fun to watch and yeah with all the creators nowadays i mean you pretty much feel like you're at the event with mm-hmm. hundred people you know sharing videos and photos of the same place you pretty much get to you know you get to see what the cockroaches are up to at some of these events because everyone's <laughs> taking videos yeah that's pretty much it for the world's news you know you had a uh, piece of news about a charizard card that sold recently I s- a certain Charizard card, yeah. Uh, as we all know, you know, it doesn't really need any introduction. Um, but the first edition Charizard and a PSA 10 sold for a record-breaking 420000 Nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, this is, this, is, this is pretty big news, not just for what this card means within the hobby itself, but it's also big... It's also notable because of the difference between this card selling, or the price that this card sold for, and the price that Logic bought his back in early October of 2020. Um, he bought his with fees of so like 226000 I think the card itself was 181000 or around there. And uh, this shows a noticeable increase in a short time frame. And, I, you know, you'll see this card fluctuate. From I, I, I do believe because it is such a high end card, mm-hmm. but I do believe that growth is a reflection of the hobby's growth as, as a whole. Given not every high end card will be means like just because a, a high end card within that hobby sells for a high amount, that doesn't necessarily mean the hobby is healthy. Uh, but in this case, I do believe. It, it reflects that in my opinion. Um, yeah. And I agree and not necessarily the price, but the fluctuation of it. Cause you know, we saw record prices back then in mm-hmm. 2020 hype 
And then with everything else, we've kind of saw it backtrack quite a bit, especially the the mid to lower grades. Um, and now, you know, kind of as we speculated, we're kind of leveling off and almost at the, the bottom. And it's really been a buyer's market for months now. And I really think stuff's getting scooped up at great prices and things might not be fully on the upswing again, but stuff that makes sense like this Charizard that's starting to, to creep up again. And more and more people are coming into the hobby or people who are big in the hobby or buying multiple copies, you know, just increasing their stock value of the card. Um, it's just interesting situation that we're still seeing record prices on some of these really rare ones. And uh, Japanese promos have kind of been the, the same way to some extent. Mm -hmm. There's an illustrator that was a record price. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the other trophy cards were almost at like record lows for two years. So say I, I think this card, the Charizard especially, attracts fringe collectors and slash investors into the hobby. It's not just Pokemon TCG collecting enthusiasts. It's individuals who are looking to invest in pop culture, invest in other in other factors or in, in other areas other than just your traditional avenues like stocks, your, your blue chip stocks, your brokerage, your, you know. Yeah. And, but, you know, it's it, I don't know how much of this is from those individuals and how much of this is from genuine interest, like people that generally want to collect. Um, I, mean, I don't know if we will know that unless people start speaking up, and I, I highly doubt that, that they will. <laughs> yeah, um, and all I was going to say, it's almost like a delayed response, like with the certain cards in the category. Like Charizard, out of all the set cards, you know, he's number one, so of course mm -hmm. you're seeing that creep up. So maybe a couple months later, you'll see like first edition Neo Lugia start creeping up again. You know, there's always yeah, a delay. It's... Mm -hmm. exactly what happened when the craze went, you know, stuff like base set just went crazy. And then stuff like Neo soon followed and evolutions followed. Cause it was a newer set that people started to find out about. So everything kind of comes in waves, but within that wave, there's like multiple fluctuations or delays. So Charizard's the first to go. So got to think of what's next. Here's a question for you. Do you think the next one's going to be about the same, lower or higher? Um, depends on how many are out there. This might trigger some people to sell that, mm -hmm. you know, bought and were unsure with the market kind of being in the bear market. But now that they're seeing the strength, you might see a couple people kind of cash in again. But, uh, yeah, I don't know for sure. I think about the same. Maybe slightly lower. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I mean, it's possible you could see increase, increase, increase. Um, that some of that could be because of the news it's receiving, so it's catching more people's eyes. And it might. I mean, people that are spending that much money, they're going to do the research, right? But well, the more maybe. people, <laughs> well, you, well, yeah, you're right. Maybe you know. <laughs> So, some people just have enough, so much money that really it doesn't matter. Like a half million dollars just, you know, in the wind. It doesn't even matter to them. Uh, but generally, um, I would say, you, you would, I would say you, there'd be a high correlation between the, that price range and individuals doing research with, within the hobby or having somebody 
having somebody's having whisper in their ear, giving them a lot of information on it. I would think, anyways. Yeah. Um, well, we had that. You know, I say maybe because we kind of had a lot of people just kind of going off the hype, and uh, certain Olivia being an example, great example. Yeah, and then like certain YouTube channels or like certain groups of people who like you know, bought a first edition box to hold like an event later on that, you know, didn't really live up to the hype because, you know, they bought it during the hype and it just wasn't really still happening by the time they came around to open it. Just stuff like that. You know, people just, there's so many people that were trying to catch up to the hype and a lot of those people have came and went. Um, I really think the hobby's in a really good place now. It kind of, backed off from those highs but now that we've picked up more genuine interest and the people who were here for the right reasons stayed now we can kind of reset it's almost like a mental reset it's like okay Mm -hmm. this card got way too crazy it kind of reset itself all right let's look at this from an objective of you know just in general being smart about it so that's why we're seeing First edition Charizard, it didn't crash as hard and then actually went up. We're seeing Illustrator, it kind of didn't really even go down at all. It just kind of stagnated and then now it's going up again. So just people are more knowledgeable. They're getting more info. They're acting on their info more and just in general just being smarter. And uh, being genuine is a really big factor in that, I feel. Because you can be smart in the hobby and know what's what, know what's worth what, and follow trends. But if you're actually in it for the right reasons, you know deep down, like, this card is awesome. It's more than likely awesome to a lot of other people. And, uh, you know, you'll end up winning more, in my opinion. Yeah, um, you know, this one, this one card in particular, it was... A lot of uh, folks that believe it was one of the more higher quality ones um, for the PSA 10, so that I, you can also maybe hypothesize maybe that's why it sold for a little more because of the quality. Um, and I don't think we'll really see, we'll really know that until we start seeing more come out on the market. Yeah. Um, there was something I wanted to touch on that later in our main topic um, was a. Uh old versus new certs, but we'll mm-hmm. get to that here soon. Um, do you have any other news on your end that you wanted to cover before that? was that? it. That was it. All right. So this episode's main topic, we're talking about the PSA backlog and the future of the slabs. We're going to cover, you know, what the PSA backlog is, kind of what we think their process is, opening of different facilities and then just kind of the future of everything coming back, which we somewhat touched on in episode two, but this one is going to be a lot more in depth. Yeah, we had, uh, we really discussed leading up to it and the hype and some, and some of the factors surrounding 2020 that led to the backlog increase. Um, but we didn't actually go into the actual details itself. And uh, I'm glad that we were able to do it this time. So it's kind of like a part one, part two, you know. And we know that they had an unprecedented growth in 2020. They received approximately 7.5 million cards in 2020 alone. Um, We don't know the exact amount 
that they received leading up to their their shutdown in March. Um, but we know it was at least a million for a month. Uh, I believe the backlog was estimated to be somewhere between 12 and 13 million. They have that now down a year later. So they so they like the first week of March was when they shut down for all for everything, but they're super high tiers. And now they're down to under five million. Now they anticipate on being caught up with the backlog by September, or, or I should, they want to be done by September. Uh, base, but they also want to have an eighty percent backlog, twenty percent other tiers come in by August. So based on when they actually open up those other tiers, will dictate when they finally finish the backlog. But right now, it's set to be sometime in early September without increasing any any other tiers. Um, and I know a lot of people are frustrated with, you know, they don't know where their card's at. They don't know where the, where it's at in the, in the process. But it, you will get it this year at some point. Yeah. You should anyways. You should. I think, like, the most... The people who are most concerned, I feel like, now are those who used, like, a service like uh, Ludkins, which, you know, we definitely did um, for a couple orders. Right now, I feel like a lot of people fit into that, like, bulk Ludkins order. And right Mm -hmm. now, you're looking about 16 months to even hear something that it's, like, being moved. So I feel like that's, like, the biggest thing. Um, One of our orders we sent in, like, was it the first or second week in November of 2020? If I'm not mistaken, Ludkins received it in the final week of October. So, yeah, that's when they received it. We assumed that they sent it off the following week. But, again, we don't understand how clogged they were with packages during this time. That's what a lot of people aren't realizing. Like, they look at the PSA um, complete through dates. And so they do a good job of keeping that up to date. Um but you also got to think Ludkins is pretty much in the same boat as well as other grading companies. Um, you know, all the cards that went through PSA, a lot of them have to go through Ludkins as well. So even though PSA is expanding and doing all this work behind the scenes to kind of catch up and future proof this from happening again, you know, Ludkins and all these other companies, you know, Jim Mint, just all these other companies have to almost kind of do the same to kind of keep on top of it. So what I'm thinking what's happening is PSA is doing a good job of actually burning through their backlog, but then this mountain of backlog and all these packages are piling up at these grading companies as well on the back end. So it's just, it's just a hot mess all over again. Um, they're making their way through it. You're seeing people give updates that it's taking about 16 months for their package to kind of start getting moved back to them. We are right about that 16 month, like right on top of it. So I would hopefully like to hear something within the next Soon. two to three weeks um, about ours. And we'll of course mm-hmm. give you guys those updates, but uh it seemed to be like 14 months and then it was 15 months and then it was 16 months. So now we might be at like 16, 17 months because this, like the Ludkins and all these secondary grading companies, they're just now getting the really heavy bulk of that. You know, PSA might be done grading all the way through third party tiers up till that 
February 2021, but that means they arrived at Ludkins like a month before that. So Ludkins is kind of reaching the end of the craze themselves right now, but uh, it's definitely a challenge for everybody just to kind of get through this thing. Well, they even, I can't remember when exactly, but it was before PSA actually like shut off or not shut up, but you know, closed down most of the services. They re- they refused to send. I know at one point they refused to send any more until P- until they were able to hear word from PSA about the status of this backlog. Yeah. And the important thing to know when you mentioned those through dates was it's not about when you you received it or even when PSA received it. It's about when PSA logged it into their system. Mm-hmm. So if you say like you know for us for example, so we so say Luckin sent it out the end of the first week of no- uh, November. And it reached PSA, say by the second week or whatever. If they if they didn't log that into their system until the end of the month because they were so swamped, that that could add another month's time. Yeah, and just think about it. Like we got our second package first, mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. But your theory that you had, I I believe, was sound. I completely agree with you. If you wanted to. Yeah. So my theory was, uh, you know, right about the time, almost between. Uh, sending in those first two orders, PSA announced that they were getting a new um, storage area or new warehouse type area, expanding their square footage, and it was going to be separate from their main place where they were going to grade stuff. So what I think happened, and this time-wise, this all kind of lays out perfectly, so this might be what happened to many people. When we sent out our first order in October... It basically got to the original area of their grading and storage. When boxes came in, they just got put in storage until they could be processed, and that's about it. So our box, if you think of it as like a a football field size area, our box probably came in and it got thrown to the back far corner of that pile. Meanwhile, while we're waiting to send in our other package, they announced this new area, this new square footage of their business where they can grade stuff. So by the time we got around to send our second order in in December, that actually went to the new place. So depending on the timing, our box that was sent in second could be first in line at the new place while our first order was last in line at the old place. So if you can kind of draw it out in your head, that kind of makes more sense than maybe I'm explaining, but you know, at that time they were just trying to get through as many cards as they could. They're not going to go through the entire storage or warehouse of boxes that they have. And well, this one was here first. This one came in after this one, send these to the new place. They, they just did what they could. They were just grading as fast as they could. They were not caring about that whatsoever. And I think our situation kind of proves that. We got our first order still waiting, which I think is at the original site. And then we got our second order back, which was sent in almost a month after the first one. And we've had that back for months now. It's been almost, yeah, we got that. Or it was about a year, a little bit less than a year, actually. Um, Because I know I was selling cards before Christmas. I, I think we got that sometime after Thanksgiving. Yeah, that, uh, the second order. So that's that's a less than twelve month turnaround time, and a PSA does even say on their site that they're trying to do 
FIFO, which is first in, first out. If you've ever worked in grocery, you might be very familiar with that term. Um, now, I feel like the fact that I know they're trying to be as transparent as possible to everybody, to everybody who has cards, any potential customers, whatever. Yeah. But I just think with how much, like you're looking at 13 million cards, right? I mean, in, in the month of March alone, before they closed down, they had like 45,000 packages, 45,000 and just like a 10 day span. Yeah. And, and I would have to take a look with October. It wasn't quite as much as that. Uh, but it was here. I'm actually, looking at that's right. another thing. Like the amount is just mind boggling. And we're just yeah, talking so, Pokemon craze, but just imagine mm-hmm. the baseball. Baseball was still basketball. roaring as well. Basketball, football, everything was nuts. So yeah, and in, in the last three months, they received over of twenty twenty, they received over fifty thousand packages. I mean, I would have to think, even if you tried your, your best, I know they increased like two hundred employees. They had that new 130k facility, 130,000k square foot facility in New Jersey. Yeah, I just think, based on my experience in retail, that I do not believe that it was impossible to have a first and first out system with that much quantity and with the amount of employees that they had working on it. Yeah, that's 1,666 packages every single day, and just imagine yeah. those. Like we what I consider sent in like, well, probably a medium sized order for like the casual cards that we sent, but we were 200. over 200 cards. Yeah. <laughs> Just imagine like even thousands if thousands, some people are saying, yeah, some people sending in thousands, Charlie, <laughs> see her locker <laughs> sent, sending in tens of thousands at once. So that kind of threw in a bottleneck for a lot of people right there. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, he sent in a lot. He saw this coming, and that was a smart move. And a lot of people caught on a little later, but people were just sending in so many cards. It's just unreal. Well, no, he was seeing it firsthand. Like, he was seeing that increase, and then, uh, you know, by by March, I believe that's when he sent in his, his huge order, March or April. So he was able to, like, take a look at what was going on with, with the pandemic, and he was basically calling his shot. Yeah, and he was like, "This is going to affect everything. I need to get it out ASAP." Yep, and he was right. Yep, and that it pays to make calls like that. It's risky, but pays off if it works out for you. Well, you know what he's paying for a car to send off is like what eight dollars, pretty much. Yeah, he'll be graded, something like that. So I mean, and so think about that twenty five thousand cards. I mean, some of them are gonna were probably more than that lower tier, right? Obviously. But just say twenty five thousand cards at that price. I mean, I think a lot of people right now, if you look at the prices, it's a hundred dollars card for PSA for your average person. Mm-hmm. That 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 difference is substantial. I mean, enough where it it affects people not saying in, in Pokemon at least to, to PSA. Yeah, it's just it's crazy all around. And you know, in between this order, we sent in some Express. The Express service is still really great. I just did an express a couple of months ago and the experience is still very great. You know, it's like three weeks turnaround, but by the time they get it and they start sending it back to you. So, um, service is still good. 
I think once we clean up this 2020 mess, they're really going to be smart about, you know, opening back up. They're already offering lower grades throughout these events and like lotteries um, to kind of test the waters. And that's a really smart way to do it because they can open up these limited events and kind of take mental notes on how the backlog is open. Um, I think starting with each tier, they might open it up to members and like, okay, you have one order you can submit at, you know, the $10 tier. And then they'll get all those and kind of see how they can process them, how the flow goes, and then they can better judge on how to fully open. But, you know, that's that's what they're doing with these events. They're not, like, offering us a service like, oh, wow, it's a special deal, $50 a card. They're No, they're testing the waters to see, you know, what's going to happen if they open the floodgates again. And uh, by doing these events, hopefully eliminating those memberships, you know, their orders, the the guys who are sending in more orders than the normal person. So they're they're doing it the right way. Um, unfortunately, if you're wanting to grade, I mean, that's the only way to go about it. You're going to look at paying a hundred dollars a card. They got the turnaround times up on their website. Um, it's just the world we live in right now till all this gets cleared up. And even when it does come back, it's going to be a, a lengthy process. It's never going to go back to what it was, I don't think, um, for the near future at least. You're going to be looking at longer wait times, but hopefully uh-huh. they're just at least consistent with what they say and they really fine-tune it to where they can really be accurate with those times. But, yeah, as far as the wait itself, it's just going to be a, a longer process, unfortunately. Yeah, if they received, I think it was somewhere around 3 million cards and uh, before they closed down. So if they received that before they closed down, I can only imagine, like, I, they're not going to lower it to the lowest tier. So it's going to be like $50 a card or something like that, I'm sure. Yeah. When they increase the tiers in July or August or whenever they end up doing it. So you're still, it's still not enough for most Pokemon cards. Um, because a lot of the Pokemon cards, you know, they're probably going to be around a hundred dollars if slabbed, you know, in a nine or 10, maybe even less than that. The vast majority of them will. Yeah. That's another five. Yeah. That's just something else I was going to say real quick. Like the market is kind of reflecting, you know, lower times cards that aren't worth much that were overinflated have came back down. So a lot of people aren't going to be sending as much in because it's not worth to grade it either. Yep. Like, one, I mean, just, there was an example of one card I was looking at. He's one of my favorite Pokemon. You you might recall me talking about this, but Ninja from Hidden Fates in a PSA yeah. 10, for example. Mm-hmm. They were around, like, 350 Now they're, like, you can find them under $100. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's crazy with that stuff. So, yeah, so some stuff just straight kind of, up isn't worth grading anymore, so that eliminates no, a lot of cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, it will. Uh, even at fifty dollars here, you're you're still not gonna get. You're only gonna get like your your alt arts, some of your secret rares, some of your promos, and that's gonna be about it. Now I have to really learn the condition and like even the cards yep. that are worth it. I mean, if you hit a eight, it's it's gonna be kind of back to the days of like breaking even at a nine, making money at a ten. But anything yeah. less than that, it's gonna be 
maybe rough. Yeah. So you have people that have to really reconsider some of their some of their intentions, some of their goals that they plan on doing and what what they will send into PSA when that happens. PSA has said that they want to make it more affordable at that $10 option that they did have through their third party vendors. But we know how much th- how many packages they received closing it down. So how many if they say if they do open up that lower tier, I can only imagine I mean places like Hudkins alone I I would think would get absolutely bombarded. Yeah. At that at that price and I'm thinking honestly that's just number I think if once I open bulk I think it's going to be something like 5 million cards within a 30 day period. Yeah. When that's they kinda, first open up that tier. That's kind of why I was thinking they would open it. They'll be like okay, bulk is open to maybe members or you know one order per customer or something like that so they can cap it yeah so they can just get like one wave and then that that will be their test you know Mm -hmm. they'll they'll gear up for it they'll offer something like that they'll get a giant wave of cards in and then they'll kind of see how that process is going and then they'll address like what changes need to be made and then you know open it up again or open it up fully based on what they find out but yeah, hopefully, I mean, if if bulk were to open today, like, yeah, the amount of cards that would go would just get, you know, they would just get plummeted again. But I think there would be a point where people stop sending in so much. You know, people, people were still craving the graded cards and the lower grades and mostly because the times were so bad. But if they opened up bulk to where it would be like three months, like back when it was, <laughs> I, which it's definitely not going to be that, but I'm just thinking about yeah, back seen. in the, the other days, mm-hmm. you know, I graded bulk when it was like a month turnaround, but even if bulk was somehow like three months turnaround, you would, eventually reach an inflection point where you know either cards aren't worth to grade or everyone has sent in what they had already to grade but it's just a it'd be a nice point to get to but they just want to make sure they get there right so you know they're pretty much just trying to gauge the market is what they're doing which what any good business should do um pokemon does that every day with how much production goes on behind the scenes and how many print runs they produce. So that's all they're trying to do. And it's almost impossible to find out without like testing the waters because we were in such a unique situation and almost a craze phase where even the demand was inflated, you know, just everything across the board was inflated. So there's no way to make a business model about what it was but they just have to slowly find out what it is and uh, go from there. And we know that a good amount of what is left of the bulk, you know, as I said, it's about 85% in the bulk tiers. We know a good portion of that is Pokemon. Yeah. They were, they were number one. They dethroned. Okay. So they were number one, most graded card for PSA in February uh, over 200,000 approximately 
Um, one thing that's very notable for that is it dethroned basketball after 14 months at number one. Basketball was consecutively 14 months number one most graded card, and in February, Pokemon surpassed basketball. Yeah, basketball took I, over I, after the hype, pretty much. And I, I just want folks to kind of like understand how incredible that is that Pokemon is rivaling some of the largest staples in the card industry and where like, it's placed. Yeah. I feel like sports. Yeah. Bas- I was just adding on to what you said, like basketball is king in the sports world. I feel like. Well, number well, when it comes to sports, I think football is still number one and then it's baseball. Then I think it's basketball, but for cards, basketball has actually surpassed all of them because of the hype from 2020. Yeah, that's what um, I was saying. Like, as far yeah. as, like, hype on the sports side, like, basketball yeah. has yeah. been really well for a while, for 14 months to be exact. And if we kind of think in mind that 85% of what's left, of the, you know, 4.8 million or, or whatever is left, is from the bulk service, and we have already said, and we know that most people that most of the Pokemon cards isn't worth grading in the higher tiers. Just to try and fathom how much of that is is Pokemon, of that four point eight million or whatever. I mean, I think you're looking at in the millions, like yeah. around maybe two million of the remaining cards are Pokemon. Is what I would personally guess, mm-hmm. if not more. Yeah. <laughs> so we, so we, you know, we think that. And, and we also know that some of the most graded cards for Pokemon was the ease of access cards. So, like, your early Watsy and your Evolutions, your Hidden Fates, your Cosmic Eclipse. You know, the, the, those were some of the ones that were graded to most. And it's just, we've already also discussed how the prices have already began falling. I think, it'll, I mean, I think you're going to still continue seeing that for a lot of those markets for the next six months. Yeah. You know, that's not to, you know, like that's not to say it's not a good time to buy right now. If you're looking to buy those things, it's just, I think it'll keep on going even cheaper. I mean, it depends on how many people actually make those available to the market. Yeah. Cause yeah, but a lot of people, you know, myself, like some stuff I bought and like maybe thought about selling, like I'm in no rush to sell, mm-hmm. just kind of stow away for a while. But, you know, we might see things like first edition base because, you know, it's first edition base and uh, there's much less of it. And I feel like if people had first edition base, that was like one of the first things they sent in. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, we're starting to really see a slowdown of first edition stuff. Um, maybe that kind of reflects in the Charizard, but referencing back to this episode when I said you got to look at what's next. A lot of people may have thought about unlimited base and I don't think that's really the case because of that reason. You know, there's just so much coming back. It'll go up eventually. Everyone loves base. It'll be consumed slowly, but I think the leveling period is still very strong. Like the plateau for unlimited base. Um, and you just got to kind of look at like maybe Neo set first editions stuff that was sent in second, you know, a lot of people can look at their own habits, myself included, you know, sent in certain things. And then 
Others I wasn't too excited about getting back, so I sent them in the second order, um, even though it didn't work out that way. But uh, a lot of people surprisingly think the same way. If you think you're getting ahead of the curb and you're hearing a lot of people do the same, you're not really ahead of the curb. You know, you just got to follow the trends. That also goes back to what I said about being in it for the right reasons. A lot of people are really similar in their reasons. Um, if you're the only person and people are calling you crazy, then maybe you're ahead of the curb. Maybe you're just doing something wrong. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you are you might have something going on there. But for the most part, a lot of people think the same way. If you you know, are thinking unlimited base, I kind of have the same thought. It's definitely going to be stagnant for a while. Maybe the Charizard takes off because, you know, people sent in the Charizard first and maybe there'll be less Charizards coming back. But, you know, your Polyrass who got sent in on the second or third or fourth order, you know, they'll still be coming back. <laughs> Probably well, you know, going the Charizard, cheaper. I'm going to say that Charizard alone is something like, from just uh, unlimited, is like 35000 35,000 has been graded for just the unlimited Charizard. And, you know, that's probably what one of the first things that a lot of people thought. Like, oh, you know, this, like, they're taking a look at what the prices of the Charizard was. And they're looking like, okay, I'm going to make a lot of money on this. Um, yeah. But again, you know, you, you mentioned this before in the other podcast, but knowledge is power. A lot of people were able to do their, their due diligence, and a lot of people, I think, were getting caught up in FOMO. I would say I was one of those people as well. You were seeing this growing this uh, gr growing amount of hype surrounding Pokemon. You're like, okay, if I don't send this in now, it's going to be several years before I'm going to be able to get these cards back or, or, or send in again. Yeah. And, yep, it's... Uh, 32,000, just under 32,000 graded for the Charizard Hollow. Only 448 tenths, 6,109s for Charizard Unlimited. Huh. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is quite a bit. And, and you'll, you'll that, see what's happening in base, too. Like, you'll see the starter Charizard Blastoise Venusaur creep up first. And then, you know, the other stuff slowly behind, but it'll just take a lot longer. So... Yeah, and one, you know, we've already mentioned the amount of it is in the bulk tier, but a lot of people, again, myself included, any car that they, that might have been like 60, 70 bucks at the time, I was like, okay, let's, let's go ahead and grade it, make some money. Well, obviously, those cards have plateaued significantly, and I know for me, I know for me, just personally, I think it ended up being almost $500 just in cars that I got graded that I'm going to have issues selling. Like I'm going to be lucky to break even or maybe lose like a dollar if I sell all those. And imagine how many of those cards are at PSA right now. I'm just clogging up the, the, this grading services. Yeah. And then, you know, you had people canceling orders and stuff like that. I mean, it's just a, I don't know. It's just a crazy mess still. I think more of the problem now is kind of on these secondary grading companies. They're really trying to 
keep up with what PSA is showing on their data because these companies aren't showing their own data. Um, PSA is sitting here saying, oh yeah, we're done through February. And uh, yeah, the other companies are just kind of stuck with the same problem. They're getting back the 50,000 packages, you know, to sift through. Um, and then you got to make sure everyone's orders right. And you know, what order number went with, you know, your service number and, it's just a huge logistical issue and just takes time. And I think here in about three months, we'll really be making solid progress. A lot of people will kind of be over the hump. Um, that's betting on if we hear something about our own package here in the next month. I really think that's going to be a good sign. Because um, like I said, the timing of our first package getting there, it was pretty much like two weeks after it left our town where they announced the new grading area. So essentially I really think our box is, was like one of the very last ones in of the original um, headquarters. So I'm just basing a lot of it off that. Once that order is back, I think we'll pretty much be over the hump of like the, the craze. So I think PSA is already there. It's just with these other companies getting through it as well. Well, CGC has done an amazing job of keeping on track. Now, they're, the amount of cards that they received obviously are not anywhere near the amount. Uh, but I know they've graded over a million cards. I believe it's like 1.5 million cards or something like that for Pokemon since they've started. Yeah. Um, and obviously PSA is significantly more. But the fact that you have somebody like CGC coming onto the scene and growing as fast as they did, I believe is indicative that obviously CGC is taking up where PSA is slacking and that re-regard, especially for those, not only the turnaround times, but the cost for those lower tiers. Yeah, for sure. I, I think CGC is in a good spot and a lot of people have came around to CGC I think they're going to be a really good like factor going forward. I personally like the case a lot, especially with subgrades. I've never been a fan of Beckett, really. Um, I like their gold label, um, but in general, I just don't really like their case. I don't like how the like Beckett logo and then the label itself is off-center. It just looks weird to me. But CGC... And very bulky, too. Yeah, pretty bulky and... I don't know. It's just it's just weird. There's very few cards that I've even considered, you know, getting in a BGS. You know, it has to be something really OG and probably just like a Charizard or something, something iconic to go in the case. But uh, yeah, CGC on the other hand is doing a really good job. I think a lot of people. I mean, I'm doing this. I think a lot of people are kind of doing what I'm doing and finding their you know, their goal of having CGC cards. Whereas like, which I don't know if that really makes sense, but for instance, I collect like Watsy set cards, Watsy era stuff, and then Japanese promos. And I prefer to have all those in PSA nine or 10, if I can help it. Um, and then for the stuff I do collect CGC, I typically buy new set stuff or like the alternate arts because I feel like they 
fit into the CGC era. You know, CGC seems new to me. These alt arts seem new to me. And I've kind of accepted the CGC case once I uh, assign like a certain group of cards for that case. And I just think in my head, you know, oh, I like that alternate art. I'll buy it. And, you know, I kind of almost want that in the CGC case. But I also really like the subgrades because cards nowadays are just the quality is really good. It's just really nice seeing the subgrades on there. When it's an older card like Watsi or a Japanese promo where, you know, just being what it is is worth something, then I just like the PSA. But, uh, you know, I'll never own or keep, rather, a Watsi like base set Charizard in a CGC case. That's just very weird to me. So that's why I kind of have these groups, like old school set, Japanese promos, go in PSA, new set stuff, or like modern, ultra modern stuff, go with CGC. Even the new Japanese promos that are pretty rare, like the beauty looking back, Pikachu, I want that in a PSA case because it's kind of, you know, got a level of rarity and like special box type thing. But uh, for anything common, like I... I like to go CGC, but I think over time they'll get even better with their higher end grades and even the older stuff. They're really respectable well, as far as their grading scale. Um, but yeah, I, I like them overall. I was, I was going to say, you know, you mentioned about the differences between which grading company and when that you would use it, you know, of the, there's like 121, PSA 10 Charizard, for example, right? First edition. Um, so I imagine of those, how many of those you think would actually become a CGC 10? Yeah, not I, not as many as the, the vice versa. Yeah, I, I would say you're probably on one hand, probably, based on the quality. And because of that quality control, I, I would think it would be very difficult to get a lot of, of the Watsi Hollows, especially in a CGC 10. Yeah. And, you know, with CGC's grading scale, I don't agree with how that they, with how they do it personally. Having, you can only have one flaw and your centering has to be a certain, I think it's gotta be at least a, what is it? A 9.5, right? For, for yeah. the centering. If you, if you want to get a 10 and so you can only have one flaw for a CGC 10. So for a lot of those Watsi cards, not only were they, most people didn't think they'd be worth anything, so how many are an actual main condition or 10 worthy is very limited. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense, in my opinion, for, for PSA, but it, again, it goes down to your subjective definition of grading. Do you believe it's a near-perfect card, like how CGC grades? Do you believe that is a 10? Then you, CGC is probably for you. If you believe that there's some leniency and there's some variance on what a 10 is then PSA is for you. And in my opinion, I, well, I personally like BGS as a grading scale the most. Mm -hmm. But with PSA, I don't need a 10, all four 10s, or three or three tens and 9.5s, or two 10s, two 9.5s, and one of those 9.5s on a centering that would be a 10 for PSA. Because, you know, if it's, say, 56.44 for CGC... It's automatically a 9.5, and I just don't agree with that when it comes to centering. 
Um, however, where this level of where this intense grading comes in handy is for the modern collector. When the, when the trend is nowadays for everybody saying it, everybody and their mom sending the things in to to be graded. It yeah. makes sense that you need a a grading service within the market that grades that harshly. Yeah. Because PSA doesn't offer really too much of a dis- I mean they do offer distinction obviously between the grading tiers, right? 10 and 9. And but let's be honest, PSA hands out a lot of 10s. Yeah, especially and, like post 2016 with the quality. I mean before it wasn't like that. You had a lot of centering issues and stuff with the uh, pre-2016 modern but yeah nowadays seems to be easier i feel like they tighten their grip a little bit but it was like really loose there for a while i mean if you look at some of the cards these are just a few of the more prolific cards from this past era and from especially the 2020 hype so just for like champions path for example so that rainbow zard has about 8,000 tens. 8,000. 75% rate of it being a 10. The Zard B, or the, or the the other Charizard and Champion's Path, it's a little bit less percentage-wise, but it's about 70% and about 7,500 tens. Now, I can't tell you what those, what the rate of tens and how many tens there are for CGC, but it's pretty safe to assume it's going to be significantly less. So what, what you have there is for a collector who maybe was turned off by PSA's grading system. And they've gone over to CGC, for, especially if they're a newer collector that's primarily interested in modern product. So that intensity of grading will allow collectors to have a true distinction of what is a perfect card and CDC's place in the market one reason I believe that they've been able to rise the way they have is not just because of that but also PSA's inconsistencies especially within their tens yeah for sure and I really like CGC's grading scale as far as like what they look for but I just think it needs to be spread out. Like, there's an awful lot of 9.5s. It just seems like it's cluttered. Or, like, if you have a crease on it, or, like, you have a giant, you know, screwdriver scratch across the top, it really only gets dinged on the surface, and it's kind of an averaging um, to, like, the mid to lower grades. So, like, you can have a card that's, like, perfect in every way, and then has like a giant scratch across it, and it'd still be like seven range or something. Where PSA, I feel like they look more at the eye appeal and kind of adjust it that way. But uh, I just feel like it's really fluffed up. Like if they could somehow take the nines and make more of those into eights, make the 9.5s and spread those out and make the 10 slightly less harder to get like i think that would be like a sweet spot basically yeah um i know with me personally the inconsistencies with psa doesn't make me want to not use them or not buy the product for me personally i'll take a look at the 10 and the overall quality before i even buy it 
But for those individuals that they've been jaded by it, by not being able to trust, quote unquote, PSA, it leads me to hypothesize, well, this era, maybe even say from 2017, 2018, but people be more wanting CDC cards over PSA. Yeah. It could. I mean, as far as modern goes, I feel like a lot of people are kind of, you know, in my mindset where they like CGC. They might not do older cards, but they like doing modern cards that way. And a lot of people who are joining the hobby, I mean, modern's in a really great spot. I mean, you don't really need to explore other areas because they just stay on top of modern so well. So... A lot of these people who are only modern collectors and just have a few Watsy cards, I mean, CGC is probably way more popular to them. So it's just going to be interesting going forward. And uh, still like my CGC stuff. I'm just kind of setting my ways with PSA and naturally just an older collector. But definitely going to be around for the rest of our days, I feel like. I think it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. It almost seems like to me, I mean, you have your your older collectors might think a little bit differently. This or those that have been in the hobby longer when it comes to PGS. But to me, in, in, my, in my opinion, it's CGC and PSA right now. I don't even think about BGS. Yeah, I would never grade with BGS. I might buy a BGS card, but like I said, it'd have to be real specific, like... Probably less than 5% of my collection would even be in BGS, even if I was actively buying a lot. But right now, I personally own zero BGS cards. So that's how much of an extreme that is. Um, overall, I'm about probably 80 to 90% PSA and 10 to 20 CGC. But I think that's just kind of how I'll always be because I generally just don't buy much modern. But if I bought more modern, I'd definitely be heavier on CGC than I am. But that's kind of how I'm set up anyway. Yeah, for me, it's probably about 75, 25. Um, and I would be buying probably more CGC slabs for modern if that's where my goals were. But right now, it, it just, it, it's not. Um, but if I were, I'd be probably looking to buy your 9.5s or your, or your 9s in Modern's product. And I would be okay with that. I would be completely fine having that in my collection as just a CGC. Yep. Now, would I ever, down the line, choose to cross-grade? You know, probably not right now, you know. But mm -hmm. it's, always, it's always a possibility. I do have a few cards that I would pretty much prefer PSA that I went ahead and got in a 9.5 um, because of the possibility of cross grading and stuff like that. So it's an option for me, I feel like, but I don't know what I would do if I would just sell them and buy the PSA or what, because of the wait times. Well, I, I was going to say, you know, just to kind of come full circle with this, we mentioned multiple times with the PSA pop report. Now we have no idea when the CGC pop tool for cards is going to become live. They've been saying now for about six months, it's almost there. It's almost there. Yeah. And <laughs> it'll it's be coming. there at the end of it's March. Coming. It'll be at the end of February. Uh, so 
We don't really know exactly, um, but we it, it is going to come eventually this year at some point. Yeah. Uh, and I'd be really interested to see what some of the numbers are from, say, your Umbreon Alt-Art VMAX, you know, some of your era-defining cards that will be, as of right now, will be your hot items but that you would guess to be your most sought-after collector's items for 20 years down the road. Now, yeah. could that always change? Absolutely. Um, but anxious, I would be very... Yeah. I'm anxious to see, like, taking a modern card like that and seeing the percentages, how many are getting 10s and how many are getting 9s and how many are getting 9.5s. So that's what I want to know. Well, I don't know about for CGC, but I actually have those numbers right in front of me for the PSA. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, so I, obviously... Um, the majority of foot hoax that are saying in the these cards at, at the one hundred dollar tier, they're pretty confident that it's going to be a ten, right? And I think the numbers reflect that because there's been like four seventy five for the Umbreon Altar B Max, and ninety percent of those have came back tens. You know, I, I think I you know that's obviously one of the ones that people will grade whenever the lower tiers do open. So, but I would expect it'd probably be somewhere around the, it'd probably fall to around somewhere around the 70, 75% range within about two years or so when it starts to kind of yeah, stabilize with uh, the overall numbers. Now, that's the rate for PSA. I would think with CGC, it would be probably, what, you think probably less than 10%? Yeah, I'm curious to see if like the 9s and 10s However, like whatever the percentage of cards that get nine or tens in PSA, if that's going to be the same for 9.5s and tens in CGC, or if it's going to be the same as like nines, 9.5s, and tens for CGC. Theoretically, it should be all three combined, but I think CGC just fills in that nine and 9.5 category so much. Like, if. If the PSA, if the amount of PSA 9s and 10s equal the amount of CGC 9.5s and 10s, that's just going to show us like the insane inflation of 9.5s and CGC. And I don't think that'll necessarily be a good thing for CGC because it shows you like mm -hmm. there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, now, if it's if it's lower and you have to add in the CGC 9s. To that to make it equal then it's a little better because that's kind of how it should be if the number of nines 9.5s and cgc 10s don't equal like or even less than psa nines and tens and that's just a really good quality to cgc and how strict they grade but just based off what i'm seeing it, it sure seems like there's just a lot of nines and 9.5s like just they hit that category a lot and a lot of people hate getting an 8.5 even in PSA um, but uh, especially CGC just a lot of people don't like the half grades unless it's a 9.5 I do believe CGC in my opinion for this era the 10s will set themselves apart I mean they, they already are but even in 20 years from from PSA, yeah. uh, I I do believe I do believe for this modern era or the ultra modern era, the CPGC tens will hold the premium over the PSA tens, especially for more high profile cards. 
Now, you're sorry, I, from, from a few that I've seen, there was one that was uh, Marnie from the Shiny Star B. Mm-hmm. Now, the CGC tens about a year ago were going for almost about 75% more than the PSA tens. So you're already starting to see with some of this product that niche within the grading community that prefers CGC is, is willing to pay that premium to have that distinction from a PSA 10. Yeah. And I believe going forward, the CGC 10, especially for this era, is going to hold that premium over PSA 10 long-term. Yeah, and I think it's true for like the modern gyms. going to be interesting to see about the old stuff just because a lot of people are still getting used to seeing that stuff in CGC cases. But mm-hmm. I think for ultra modern, like the old arts, like CGC is going to, going to win, but it's still just kind of getting used to seeing the old cards in the CGC case. You know, do you think it's going to be true for like the old cards too? No, I think people are going to want to stick to PSA. And I think a lot of that has to do with the value. You're not going to, risk say let's say for example say your psa 10 first edition charizard cross grading unless you have faith in your grading i 100 percent you're not going to send that into cgc because you, you're going to lower the value because it'll probably go to a 9.5 now i'm i've also just been kind of looking at even like cdc 8s because there is a little bit while they have caught up a lot it's not quite one one and you can find for some of that older product you can find some really good deals still yeah for sure, and those will kind of upgrade to PSA a lot of times as well, especially 8.5s. You might get those cheap because nobody really wants 8.5s. Exactly. So, but if you if you trust your eye and like especially through photos and you and it's and you believe it's worth the risk, then go for it. Yep. Well, I mean that pretty much covers our main topic. Um, we do have a couple Q and As and then a quick game corner game to play. Um. But yeah, we can go ahead and hop into questions if you're ready. Yeah. Um, so I have a question for you. This was a question that was posted on our Instagram. What would happen if Nintendo slash Pokemon created their own grading card service? Would it cause hmm. a shift in the hobby? Well, maybe not a shift, but it would definitely cause a stir. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think they, I feel like Pokemon wouldn't do that, but if they did, I'm trying to think of how they would go about it. It'd be really weird for them to have their own grading service as far as like judging the quality of like their own product, because then you kind of run into examples of like them making a product and like taking the tins and already grading the tins and trying to market the tins. So they could be selling their own product. Like, you know, when the set releases, you can buy this PSA 10. It's going to go live on the Pokemon Center <laughs> or this, you know, whatever, the Pokemon Company, the TPC. You can buy a TPC 10 on release day for this much money, you know, yeah. it would just be a lot of weird things like that. But, uh, I could see them maybe offering like special cards like that, or maybe not an actual grade, but an authentic encapsulating to where basically, um, you know, guarantees the authentic, authentic, uh, 
authenticity of the card. <laughs> but uh, I could see maybe that happening, like selling like special products where they're like protected in their authentic case. But I don't know about certain grades. It would definitely shake it up. And I feel like, I don't know, it'd, be, it'd just be so weird. I feel like people would still almost prefer what they're used to, kind of like the CGC with Watsy cards. But uh, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I think they would have to. They would have the same issues that any other uh, new grading service or any other grading service has had breaking into the the grading hobby. You know, CGC. It took a while for CGC. I think it didn't take that long, but it was able to profit off of the hype, like a one once in a generation hype. We might, you know, we'll probably never see see that again. And they were able to quickly gain their their place within the, the community, and they have become trusted by a lot of ind- individuals in the community. So, in addition to what you said, they're going to have to garner trust within within the hobby, and it's still only going to be pretty much the ultra modern product, right? And in time, that will become like the modern product, but. Your people aren't going to be interested in buying Wasi cards from Nintendo when they already have, when there's plenty graded in PSA. There's really no point in shaking it up, especially when most collectors prefer uniformity yeah. with their um, with their with with their sets. So, like you know, they're not going to go half PSA, half CGC. They're going to go all or one or all the other. And in addition to that. You have for a lot of folks within Japanese, they don't grade like we we do. A lot of people that are grading the Japanese cards are Westerners. Yeah. So so they're basically what what they be trying to do is trying to gain another slice within the industry so they can regain some of those profits. That would be the whole idea, right? Like they'll they'll see certain grading companies making so much money, and they'll believe that they have they they'll believe that they have a a right. To that slice of the pie, yeah, and it's also so you're trying to gain Western audiences, right, to agree with you. But we already know that Japanese do not cater to American audiences when it comes to Pokemon products. They might release adaptations to the American audiences, but we all know the Japanese did all the good stuff, yeah. all the the, the the good promos. Hell, even with Pokemon Go. They also got all the good stuff when it came to that. All their impromptu events that they had with within Japan. Their, I remember the very beginning with Pokemon Go, their Lapras event was huge. It was like basically a glorified Lapras community day for like five, six days. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. crazy. And this, is when, this, and this is when, you know, Lapras was king in, in the, the game. Or not king, but he was like one of the top defenders. And they got all the the very good stuff. So you're, you're going to have to try to bridge that gap to make people want to grade with you when people have been doing it one way for decades. So I definitely think it's possible for them to gain a, a piece of the, the market share. It's just going to be a very, very uphill battle. And they're going, they're going to have to want to gain this trust within the hobby that they don't exactly give that same sort of attention to as they do their Japanese market. Yeah, and I think... You know, I think that might be true for like a new company, but since it's like Pokemon itself, I think the hurdle of it being 
weird and like their own product would be like an even bigger hurdle. Cause like, I don't know, there's just such weird situations like that, you know? Plus if they, if they came out with like Watsy stuff, I mean, you have to wonder like, well, do they have like a stash of Watsy cards at the Pokemon company that they're going to put in service? You know, you wouldn't think they'd be able to reprint fully the cards, but I'm sure they'd make a, uh, you know, just like we saw in celebrations, like a, a not one to one, but like a pretty much true reprint that they could encapsulate. And this is an authentic collector's item in a Pokemon Company case, like stuff like that. It just, I don't know, it just gets weird with stuff like that. I think most collectors would identify that as like a sixth or even seventh print of the base set, and they wouldn't give it much time, honestly. But one thing that would be interesting is because they are such a big company, they could really, really make uh, the grading services really, really cheap because they could take that hit on the short term to gain those customers for the long term because they have, you know, they're the largest media um, franchise ever in the entire world. So they can afford that. They can afford taking a loss within within the grading industry for several years. Yeah, and it, and it would it wouldn't hurt them one bit. Whereas a lot of these other grading companies, they they can't afford that. Yeah, it'd be an interesting social experiment. I don't think we'll we'll ever see it because for one, I mean, they won't they wouldn't even take that risk. I feel like because they they can just print <laughs> money that being cardboard. Um, yeah. So yeah, they wouldn't even have the thought to even dabble there, but would definitely be interesting if something like alternate universe that happened. <laughs> yeah. It would be cool though to think of some of the labels that they could. I bet they could, they could make some kick-ass labels. Yeah, for sure. But, well, uh, yeah. The question I had was uh you know, I had a question originally why slabs are so valuable today why are some not and i think we already touched on that so i might skip over that one you know just kind of going back to the some cards aren't worth grading and they were overhyped and we went into that pretty well Mm -hmm. but uh my other question was how does someone start now and how does someone find their niche in the hobby and the niche part goes to like the pokemon collecting world is just so huge that i always tell people they need to find like a niche or find what they collect so to you how does someone start and how did someone find their niche to begin with well what a lot of us have done we went through the easily accessible avenues right so we'll start with what we grew up with we'll start with what's on the shelves first now learning about more different variety of the cards and some of the history of the cards, I believe basically gaining knowledge, basically educate yourself when you begin trying to steer with what you want to collect. Now, whenever you find something to collect, it should feel almost natural, right? It should just be like almost instantaneous. Like I love these cards. I love this set, whatever. If you're trying to begin based on the value of the cards, the hype of the cards, even the FOMO. So for a lot of these these newer sets, I think you're going to find it's not as organic 
and your true interest in the cards you might find wasn't actually there. And I, I, I know this is going to sound cliche, but find where your heart takes you. Now, I'm not quite saying believe in the heart of the cards. I'm not quite saying that. Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> but I, I believe when you begin, when you begin from that perspective, you'll start finding where your, your passions lie. Now, I, I wish I could be more precise because I know it might almost sound like it's like almost a broad idea, right? But to find what you want, what your true interests are, is something that's going to take a little bit of time and a little bit of researching for you to find that. And it's okay if whenever you first get in, your first interest is, say, let's say, Evolving Skies, right? And you love all the Altars. You love the Altar Rayquaza. You love the Altar Umbreon. And those are the cards you want to collect. And that's great. That's a great that, that you begin there. But then you begin realizing, say, you actually prefer Watsi era cards. And you realize your interest, your true interest, say if you're our age, right? Like, you know, mid, mid-20s to early 30s. And those are the cards you want to begin with because you feel like that's you. That's who you are, that you connect with those because you grew up with them. Or it, it, it's where Pokemon began. And that's why you have this connection with it. And you want to grow up with Pokemon, with collecting with Pokemon from the very beginning. And that's just one example, obviously. Um, yeah. I was basically using my own personal, you know, story. <laughs> but yeah. I think it's very, I think it's very relatable, though. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much think the exact same way. My niche has changed many times throughout the years. I can't tell you how many times. Well, this is pretty much my OCD, but can't tell you how many times I've completely taken cards all out of the binder and reorganized it and Mm -hmm. decided not to keep these. But when I first started, it was just, you know, base jungle fossil is all I wanted a set of. And then I was going for every ultra rare. So you could fit every single ultra rare and secret rare in a 360 ultra pro pro binder and uh, I had it laid out. I had little pieces of paper of every single ultra rare. I actually had like 90% of them. And then I was still actively buying the new sets. I collected, I started set collecting from the new sets as well. Um, had a little binder of each. I got to about six sets or six near complete sets. And I was like, it's just too much to keep up with. So I sold all that, and then um, Next Destinies came out. That's when they brought back the EX cards, and shortly after that, you started having more than six secret rares or ultra rares in every set. I mean, it went from like three to like six to like 12 to like 20 within like one year, it seems like. Um, So it just got kind of crazy. Like the ultra rare kind of became you know, the, the rare card kind of like it is today. Like nobody cares about a hollow today. You actually cared about hollows back then. Um, it was a good hit. <laughs> like, Hey, I got a yes, hollow. Sweet. 
And so uh, you got a secret rare, one of three in the set, and it was just insane. A lot of times there's only one secret rare card in the like black and white sets and stuff like that. So my niche changed a lot over the years. Um, everyone's will. But yeah, like you said, I mean, you really do just have to collect what you love. And the biggest thing I could tell someone starting now is that you're going to love everything at first. Mm -hmm. So that is, you know, there's FOMO that plays into that. There's being new to the hobby that plays into that. Every set that comes out, you're going to think, oh my God, that set's awesome. That set's awesome. Every card you look up on Bulbapedia, you're going to, oh my God, I didn't even know this card existed. That's awesome. I want that too. You're literally going to want everything. And the the biggest thing I could tell people is like, everyone thinks that same way. It's just, it's very rare that someone can actually do that. The hobby is so big. There's so many releases, so many languages, so many promos, not to mention the cost factor. I mean, hardly anybody can even keep up with all that's released on a normal, you know, set-based schedule. And they make it now where there's so many cards, you have to open up like 10 booster boxes and then you still don't get the whole set. So it's just different nowadays. Like it's not really meant to be like catch them all because it's like impossible to get everything. Um... So you just really have to follow what you love. And like right now, I'm just, my set collection is only up until Watsy. I don't even have the reprint sets being like base set two and legendary collection. Cause I think of that as like my nostalgic part of my collection. Like I just want one of each artwork based through Sky Ridge, complete Watsy as a whole. And then I'll enjoy looking at that for years to come. And then my main collecting nowadays is like Japanese promos, like unique Japanese promos, kind of more pricey cards, but just not that many, you know, I don't have a whole binder or case full of those cards, but in general, those cards are worth more. So I like having like a small collection, but like worth a lot collection, mostly Again, because of my OCD and kind of minimalistic view, I've sold my whole binder collection like three times over the years and kind of revamped my collection. Or I sold like when I got my first editions, I sold like my base through Gym Challenge complete. And then I invested all that. Like I restarted and invested in first editions instead. And then now I have both first edition and unlimited again. And so it's just revamped itself many times over but in the end that's what i did i just followed what i what i loved even though it changed and it cost and then, me a lot but <laughs> i was gonna say there's some other factors i feel like to consider as well so again knowledge is power knowing more about the hobby you'll start finding what's out there and so you might find cards that you didn't think you would have an interest but but you actually do the other thing is prioritization what things should i collect first over everything. Say so. Say if you got in, and there's a lot of modern you like, right? But you're not sure where to even begin with modern, and it almost feels like overwhelming. Well, maybe it's best to write a list. What What are some of the things that you like, either sets or type of cards, and then go from there. And then if you think about it, 
okay, what, what some things that, in, in terms of price, because that's also a big role in what you can't collect. Like if you've got a smaller budget, say if it's only, say if it's $100 a month, right, that you can spend on the hobby, or whether it's 100 or 1000 you can have this list and you can start breaking it down based on what you think is best to buy now. Now, I think right now, for example, for modern, the prices aren't going to go into the stratosphere with ultra modern, especially it's, it's just not. So say if you're interested in Watsi, maybe even first edition, say if you're interested in first edition Neo, it might be better to prioritize the first edition Neo over the ultra modern based off of one as time goes on a lot of those cards especially vintage is going to get bought up by collectors whereas modern a lot of these like all tart sets they're all still in print yeah or you know there's still there's still plenty of product out there so if you take in those factors and again I want, I want to bring home the part with the budget like if you got say a $200 a month budget you probably don't want to be buying graded cards. Yeah. You should probably focus on buying sets of say, I don't know, say if you want to collect the, the Skyrim set or something, or the, or the, some of the e-reader sets. You're probably going to have to collect, you know, moderately played, but you can still have that in your binder and you, you, you can reach your goals and you still have that product and you are still collecting. You're still part of the hobby. And I, I just think that, that it's a very important, like when you're trying to find your niche, the budget and prioritization is also very important in addition to what you look, look up. Yeah. Many factors. And like, you yeah. know, if you don't want to collect sets and you are set on the PSA cards, that's fine. But like with a $200 budget and like, depending on what you want to collect, you know, you just have to kind of rethink your goals. Like, do you want, the entire first edition base set graded, then that's fine, but you're going to be saving up for months to buy one card. So if you're okay with that, go for it. Some mm -hmm. people, you know, don't have to buy a card every week. That's their end goal. Um, some point in their life, they would like that. And that's, that's okay too. It just all goes back to, you know, of course, what can you do? Is the card available? Are the funds available? But ultimately, what are you going to enjoy? And I feel like a lot of people who are focused on that stuff that you just explained, like, uh, well, I better buy Neo set first because it's going to go up or, you know, whatever the reason may be. That's a, that's a good way to think. Like if you know one goal is more sought after than another goal of yours, then yeah, you might want to prioritize one versus the other if you are worried about them going up and stuff like that if you're someone who is looking at that and like well i want to buy this first because i'm going to be making more money off this you know in the short term if it's more money oriented on how much money can i make you know that's not as good of a reason to go that route but uh yeah just really dependent on genuine interest and what you enjoy ultimately. And there's a lot of, a lot of people today, a lot of Instagram accounts that I've been, uh, unfollowing some people that I've actually followed in 2020. I really enjoy talking to 
they were talking like they were going to collect forever and then they haven't made a post or have been seen since January of 2021. You know, a lot of people had that mindset and I think we're in a good place now, but you just got to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And it's pretty much everything in life, you know? Yeah, whether it's $100 a month budget or $1,000 a month budget, you can find your goals and you can find adequate cards for your collection and you can enjoy the hobby. You can enjoy the hobby, collect vintage, or even collect more higher, I shouldn't say like higher ends, but like cards that are deemed more desirable on a lower budget than you would think. The condition might not be, be the best, but it's... You, it, the opportunity is still there. Like just because, like a, a lot of this hobby, whether whether they're, I mean, one because we are our generation is younger. And there's a lot of other factors involved that we won't go into, but a lot of people aren't exactly able to afford a whole lot in, into this hobby. But you can still enjoy it for very very cheap. If depends on what you break down on what the core necessities for what you want to collect and what you love are both known and you have a plan yeah list like you said lists are great make a list of everything and you can kind of pluck away at that list it's whatever works for you but just be organized not only your collection but your goals Mm -hmm. don't do any late night ebay searches and just come across (laughs) a card and then just insta buy it and then you have a cool card, but then you're not closer to your goals, which ultimately should make you happier than that one card because you actually took the time to think about it and write that goal down. So just got to prioritize and go with the flow of what you like. Yep. So, all right. Well, pretty good Q&As there. Got a little deep dive into them. Um, that last part could have been almost a whole main topic in and of itself, honestly. It, it yeah. really could have. Yeah, maybe we'll touch on that later episodes or something. But yep, a little bit down the line. It's time now for the game corner, though. We have Would You Rather this episode. That is our game. Um, who should go first? You got a? Do you have a Would You Rather? I got a couple of them. If you don't have one, but I figured it'd be kind of cool. I d- yeah, I do have one. Um, we kind of hinted a little bit at it, but we didn't actually go in, into detail. Um, now, would you rather buy? near mint raw or near mint grapes hmm because you can always you know create your own but what do you think so it depends on how much it is now that I don't have a lot of modern graded if it's a modern card I like to buy graded if it's something older or more expensive, I like to buy raw if I'm pretty confident in what it would grade. Like a lot of Japanese promos I have in tens, I've graded myself. Um, just knowing that in general, those cards get pretty easy tens out of the gate. And just knowing what to look for and like thoroughly examining pictures. Like, I don't think I would do that on a card that isn't so well-known to get a 10, but stuff that I'm confident that do get 10s, and I have a pretty good eye in general, like, I'll go ahead and buy raw. But uh, stuff that might be harder to grade or 
you know, kind of middle of the road where it might not be worth sending in and waiting three months, then uh, I might go ahead and just buy the grade itself. What about you? So I would rather buy almost all situations. I'd rather buy overall. Um, you kind of touched up on it a little bit, but the price of whatever grade you're trying to get does play a role, especially compared to what it might be for near mint as a raw price. But for modern, especially, I'm buying, I'm going to be buying raw 99% of the time. The chances are, I mean, I only can you, I mean, I would go eBay, not TCG player on this, but that that's a whole other thing in of itself. But to see, but I mean, chances are, like, you know, yeah. there, there's if you if you trust your eyes and your ability to and your ability to analyze the photos, there's a good chance you can call your shot on what's going to be a ten. And for a for modern product, especially, that is the way I roll. Now for vintage, it depends on the price. But I was I'll gonna. Probably, I would say I'd probably also go. I mean, well, it's hard to find for vintage near mint raw on slab these days. Depending on what, what you're trying to find. Yeah. So that I think that some of that scale is getting closer and closer to being the actual price. But I would even say, I mean, for me, it's also about like the, like the thrill of the hunt, right? Like you're trying to like how, how many hours you put in trying to find this car and yeah. trying to see is this an eight or it's at least eight, it's at least a nine. That's, or, you know. that's the one thing I was going to throw in is like, so I'm like that with more expensive cards and then, um, but there's also this level of if I'm trying to bind it or buy it for a binder collection where I'm yeah. trying to buy like a mid grade on purpose, like it's something that I don't want graded. Like I'll actually buy the graded five, six, seven, crack it out of the case and put it in my binder because of the reason you just said, like it's almost impossible to find decent cards, at least if it's a graded card, I know exactly or somewhat rough idea of what I'm going to be looking at. And so I just buy that to know the card is a certain condition so I can crack it out. Because more and more people on eBay nowadays just do not have any idea what like a grading scale is. There's literally a mint card I looked at the other day that had a straight up puncture in the side, like... <laughs> almost indention slash crease, but like a puncture mark in the border. So yeah, almost. Near by, mint, bro. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was mint. It wasn't even near mint. He had mint capitalized. You know, but <laughs> so. one, one thing with those is a lot, a lot of times. So the way the eBay does with their listings, you start typing it in and then it'll like bring up other listings that have had this. And now other cars might have actually been like that. But you're just regurgitating the the listings, and you're either you're doing it on purpose, so you are being intentional, mm-hmm. or you're just being lazy. Yeah, yeah, you gotta look, watch way, out for it. Yeah, either way, I stay clear of those sellers regardless. Yeah. Well, uh, one more thing for the game corner on my end. Um, we'll kind of be rapid fire on this one because I gotta kind of wrap up soon. But uh, would you rather have a CGC nine point five or a PSA nine? Well, it depends on what the 9.5 is. If it's like a 10, a 9.5, and two nines, then chances are it's probably, you know, it basically, 
if I think it has a chance of being a PSA 10, I'm probably going to cross trade it 100%. But I'd rather have the 9.5 over the 9 pretty much 9 times out of 10. Yeah. If it's a 9.5 modern, I would like a 9.5 CGC. If it's an older card, though, I pretty much go with PSA 9 just to save me hassle. And it pretty much goes back to, like, I only collect CGC and modern, and I only collect old school and PSA 9. But as far as the quality, I think I would go for the 9.5 if I'm cross-grading. But... Yeah, I like it's mostly a factor of like OCD. Like, I can't have this in a CGC because it belongs in the PSA case. So, it's more so of that reason. But quality wise, I would pick the 9.5 if I wanted to cross grade. Would you rather have a PSA 8 or a CGC 9? CGC 9. Yeah, in that, that case, question. in that case, it's kind of like the same for me as the first one. But, um, yeah, it depends on what card it is. If I was cross-grading there, though, I probably wouldn't buy either. I'd probably just buy the PSA 9 or 10 outright and just skip both altogether. I wouldn't really mess with cross-grading at that level, I don't think. So Yeah, I mean, if it's a more modern card and it's not going to be worth it even cross-grading for years down the road, then it, I, I, I still would go, I mean, it's the Better quality car. I'm going to go with a better quality car nine times out of ten. Now, say if it's a PSA 10 and the 9.5 looks better, I'll probably go with the, the PSA 10. Yeah. Unless the, the 10 looks like absolute trash. I have seen a few PSA 10s where you look at it and the the I feel I feel bad for the sellers because clearly the car should not have ever been given a, a 10. And, yeah. Yeah. You see that a lot with and old just, certs too. Yeah. So... All right. Well, I mean, that pretty much does it for our episode. Um, pretty solid all around. You have to let us know what you guys think. If you're on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcast or Google, you know, we, we're everywhere now. So just yeah, have to uh, let us know what you think. And I was going to say, if, if y'all have any other uh, podcast service that we don't have featured on our link tree, shoot us a pm and we're more than happy to add another service to it yep for sure i think we got all the main one covered but i know a lot of people like their like in pokemon collecting like their niche services Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh yeah all i was gonna say at the end guys is thank you so much um we got a juicy episode coming up in episode four i think we're gonna be talking about um kind of a kind of a personal matter that some people might find touching um, but it's going to be more about like addiction versus obsession how to deal with that in pokemon and uh i think we both have a couple personal stories and our thoughts relating to real life versus the hobby and all that should be a really good episode i'm really looking forward to that one yeah, and to tag on to that, just dealing with burnout in general, um, because both of those with the addiction and the addictive properties of Pokemon and the obsessive properties of Pokemon can cr- cause a lot of people to fizzle out quickly. Because, you know, you have a flame that bur- burns twice as fast will also go out twice as fast. So, yeah. So, yeah, all that's going to be kind of tied in. It's going to be pretty deep episode we're still going to have our layout but it's more so us talking 
from experience, talking from the heart, so we're not really covering certain news topics. So it should be just a really good in-depth conversation. So, but yeah, you have to uh, check out our link tree. I'm going to try to put our link tree in the description of the podcast, wherever it goes. And uh, yeah, pretty much it. I guess we'll see you all in the next one. We'll see you next time. Peace. Yep. See you.